0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the UW Film Club podcast, where each week we invite a member of the club onto the show to talk about a movie of their choosing. Whether that movie be good, bad, topically relevant, or anything in between, it's all on the table. I'm one of your hosts, Jim Saunders, and joining the podcast is special guest Levi. Hi, yeah, glad to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How you doing?
1: I'm, I'm doing well, I'm doing well, you know. Mm. I'm excited to talk about this movie. I think it's a it's a hidden gem. It's part of the reason why I like it is that when it came out, not a lot of people went to see it. It didn't, it didn't really make any money, uh, and it's just been sort of lost in time. It came out almost a decade ago now, nine years. So mm-hmm. I'm just excited to, you know, get some opinions out there because you don't really hear a lot of, many people talking mm-hmm.
0: about it. Now I remember back in the day seeing a, a bunch of uh, a bunch of trailers and commercials for it. I thought it looked awesome back when I was like ten. <laughs> i I still had never seen it up until last night, <laughs> which is crazy to me yeah that, that's wild There's a ton of movies like that that are applicable to my life though it's like i I know about it I know a lot about it but I've never seen it. Excuse me if I'm wrong. were you at the Joker screening?
1: i was yes you you i, I in fact Joker. i I wrote a review for it that i i I didn't write the review that may or may not come out because I know Cynthia's still writing oh, yeah, i
0: think i I think I'm not sure but i I emailed
1: it, I emailed in a review for that for my uh, writing team tryout. so okay, okay. So I have some opinions about that movie as well.
0: Really? Okay, because I, I also have some opinions about that movie.
1: <laughs> it's to total, movie. That's totally relevant because it's, you know, that's right now, I mean, it's a pretty big topic of controversy. Oh, yeah. Critics, initially, I mean, it won, ugh, won Line it won Golden and, Line and Venice. and Venice and then initially the Rotten Tomato score was like, Eighty-six percent, and it's it's important to remember that the Rotten Tomatoes score is an aggregate of, you right. know, so it's same not with,
0: um, same with Metacritic. Same
1: with Metacritic, it's not like that is it's blank out of ten. You know, that's right. just the percentage of people who enjoyed it. Uh-huh. But yeah. I, I, anyway, but that score has dramatically dropped as we uh, like stagnated. Stagnated, then. and Metacritic is down in the fifties. I mean, I believe so. Yeah, it's 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 mixed.
0: Although it's uh, Audience, number, nine, yeah. number nine of all time on IMDb.
1: Crazy. And it has a really good audience score. I mean, it broke the all the October box office records, beating mm-hmm. out Venom. I believe it even beat Far From Home's uh, three day run, but that movie was released over a five day weekend, so right not that's exactly not exactly comparable, but yeah. still a very impressive showing for a movie that seemed with so much negative publicity. It shows that any publicity is good, good publicity. Because I know Todd Phillips had some comments that people were like, "Well, you know, didn't really like." And then there was that whole Joaquin yeah, think- Phoenix on on Jimmy Kimmel. That oh, was like, yeah, was yeah. weird. And that was,
0: yeah, I think, I think the movie had a lot of unfortunately negative press, but I don't think that, that obviously didn't affect the box office numbers at mm-hmm. all.
1: No, no, not at all. And I, I but I think a uh, part of that is people forget that this is a movie about a comic book character from, you know, the 1940s. It's, it's, it is, right. it is relevant today, but it's not like, you know, it, it isn't this, you know, like it's not for everybody. It's a comic book movie. Right. Um,
0: oh. I think a lot of critics got hung up on the fact that oh this is some dangerous groundbreaking movie when it's really not. At least I don't think it I is. I think I think
1: that's what I'm trying to say is that this is a movie based on this character who's always been crazy. You know, right. th- I people who went into this movie thinking, "Oh, maybe he's going to be a good guy or like maybe they'll spin it this way." No, I mean the Joker is a broken man. He's, he's, a, psychopath. Psychopath. he's a psychopath, in whatever medium you tell him in. So, right. I, you know, it was surprising to see this backlash for this character like, "Oh, it's so it's so dark, it's so you know this or that, but it's the it's the Joker we're talking about. This right. guy is crazy.
0: Mm-hmm. I would expect nothing less. I, I think maybe my opinion on the movie has sort of been unfortunately shaped by the fact that it won the go online and it has gotten all these accolades. Um, interestingly enough, when the critics score is pretty mixed, but like I feel going into that and knowing that it's supposed to be this like big drama artsy yeah. film I think I think degraded my experience of it a little bit because I thought it worked kind of as a character study a little bit I watched it's ex- yeah. is, is incredible obviously because we all expected that I think the yes. cinematography is really great um, score I think score is I think the score is good really
1: it's, un- it's understated it's it really it's there when it needs to be and it's gone as the dialogue takes over mm-hmm. it's it's perfect. I think it's. I think it's really good. It's, and it's the score in this movie more so than, more so than most. I think some movies. It really tells the story of like you're not supposed to think that this is you know the right thing that's going on. Right. Like that. That's what really makes it so it's not glorifying, you know, mental illness or, like that. The music is really what cements it for me when I'm watching it as this is not a good thing. You mm-hmm. know, for the average viewer, I I, I think
0: there are. Uh, some parts where you're clearly is supposed to sympathize with
1: Joker. Oh, like he's not. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. the beginning, the way it's framed. But to go to go back a, a, a second, um, I stayed away from all trailers for this movie. But not not so much in. I'm really excited for it. But I was really just turned off of the DCEU and what they had been making, and mm. after especially after Justice League and. Oh yeah. So I was like, ah, Joker movie, whatever. So I wanted this movie with no expectations. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it. I saw it twice now, once at the screening and once, uh, once with friends. And I actually liked it more the second time. At first, the first time watching it, I, I thought at first it was a little slow. But by the end, I said, you know, this is a good movie. And the okay. second time I watched it, I said, this, this is a great movie right here. Like this is, this is good cinema. That's,
0: an, that's, that's interesting. I, I feel like I need to see it again. Like I'm not sure how that will affect my overall viewpoint, but because I I've f- been following some people that rewatched it and think it's a lot worse, and I've really? seen some people that rewatched it and still think it's like a masterpiece. I've read some people say that this is the worst movie ever, and some people say that this is like now their new favorite. <laughs> yeah, movie. there
1: was a there was a guy behind me who, when it finished, he started clapping and went. Better than The Dark Knight, better than Endgame. And I was like, oh man, you know, I, I I, for one don't think the movies are, well, at least especially Endgame, are not comparable. Oh, not But at all. Just, to, just to point out that people have that, it's a very polarizing reaction. Right. I think... Not, you know, it's polarizing, I but not, not so much as something like The Last Jedi, for say, which is all the most, I think, the most po- polarizing film of all time in its cinema history. It's crazy how much that how but people split on that movie that's a, that's
0: a bold but also very true statement like
1: <laughs> i but i think that um this movie clearly you have those reactions but i think the majority of people actually really do enjoy this movie Just judging by the um audience score on ron tomatoes you know that it's in the 90s i believe and the metacritic user score is also in the nine range so i think while there may be outliers vocal outliers I think that people will see. I mean, just look at the box office. People mm-hmm. like this movie. Like it, people can identify that this is just a good piece of film right here. Do you
0: think that it's gonna hold up like twenty years from now?
1: That's what I was thinking about when I was uh, when I was writing my review on it, because obviously Heath Ledger's performance has has held up over you know the decade it's been since that mm-hmm. happened. And I was thinking about this movie, and my initial reaction after seeing it was no. I said, "I'm not sure people are even going to remember this." But after that was after the screening. But after the box office numbers, after the the buzz around this, I think people really will. I think, especially if this going into awards season, it picks up steam. Mm. If Walking Phoenix's performance I mean, for
0: sure it will like I I I see no world where Walking that, Phoenix that'd doesn't be, that'd get be crazy. an Oscar
1: nomination. If he, if he gets the nomination alone, I think this it has to be remembered if they tie it into the upcoming Robert Pattinson Batman film uh, or any potential other sequels, if they do anything with Joaquin Phoenix again and there's more than one movie where he plays the Joker, I think then instantly, yes, it must be remembered. But Mm. right now, I would say yes, but it's it's, it's, it's tentative. Mm. It's tentative. Just like, just... Because it's so much movie. When you watch it, it feels like you've watched... It's three hours of punch... ...pushed into about an hour and 50 minutes. The pacing is just... The, the editing is magnificent. How mm-hmm. they were able to do that. How were they able to deliver that, that rapid narrative. But it seems like it's so slow and so long. But if you just look at the actual time... ...it really isn't compar- comparable to a lot of uh, blockbusters these days. So, I, yeah, I, I, a tentative yes. A tentative yes, it'll yeah. hold
0: up. I have, I have some issues with the film. I think... A lot of it, message wise, seemed a little like substanceless. But maybe that's maybe that's just me. But I do think, in terms of the direction, that Todd Phillips was a surprisingly good choice, just because of how well the tension's being built, like throughout the entire film. Every scene is like scarier than a lot of sc- horror movies I've yeah, ever seen. Yeah,
1: and it's written and directed by the guy who made the Hangover trilogy, right. which is like yeah. Phew. yeah. So there's there's that to take into account as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I had I have one literally one big particular problem with the movie, which it's kind of spoilery, so I won't get into it. If you know those of you who are listening want to watch it, but um, it's just an editing choice. There's a sort of a a montage scene towards the, in the third act of the film that I think is unnecessary because a lot of the film is letting the viewer craft their own narrative, draw their own conclusions, decide what. Well, you know, where, where the story is going, which is something that's not a spoiler, I don't think, because the Joker has always been, my past is, you know, multiple choice. That's like the, the famous line, I think, I, not verbatim, but, but it's about multiple choice. This guy is crazy. But there was this one scene that I just thought was too explicit and like, this is what is happening. And I, I thought it was a weird, sh- sh- you know, straying away. When I watched it a second time, I was less bothered by it. But it was just something I thought that could have been left for the viewer to determine.
0: mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, I guess that's our little Joker side tangent. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I felt it was necessary to talk about it because it's. I it's, think so too. Yeah. It's relevant, and e- even when this is gonna go out, I think it'll it'll still be relevant. But yeah, now we're going to start yeah. talking about back the up film up that nine that years. I <laughs> that Levi brought to the table, and what film
1: is that? That would be Tron Legacy, the film released December seventeenth, two thousand and ten. I was nine years old at the time. I still remember to go see it in theaters with my was with was my dad and my brother. And I was big into I wasn't really that big into Disney films, but this is a Disney property. And mm-hmm. I was really big into the Tron just marketing push. There was a video game and a TV show, Uprising and Evolution, respectively. And I played the game, I watched the show. And honestly, what rewatching the movie, they actually are pretty good at, you know, and giving some exposition to some of the things mentioned in the film, but, mm. um, and I can talk about more more about that later, but I, my point is I was all in on this. I thought it was just the coolest thing, and at this point, I didn't know that Jeff Bridges had starred in a film in 1982 of the same name, Cultron, and this was actually a sequel to a movie of almost 30 years before, so, you know, that, that, I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking about that. I said, this is just the coolest thing. You know, I went out and I bought all the, all the toys, and I was like, oh, this is so cool, this is crazy, but then, you know it sort of just died out you know a sequel never came out there was no after about i'd say 2012 2013 it, it all buzz around just the tron brand sort of just stopped and i think there's some behind the scenes stuff going on with that and that there are stories about what happened there behind mm-hmm. the scenes at disney but um point being that i think this movie is just a forgotten a forgotten gem that should be remembered for more if even if you just don't like the movie now in an age where we have a lot of digital de-aging, a lot of technology like that, where that is like the big thing, you know, Gemini Man coming out soon, like the whole cell right. of that movie is come look and see 23-year-old Will Smith, Irishman is come look and see 20-year-old, you know, Robert De Niro, like these people are de-aged. Right. And this was a movie that I, I this is the first movie I saw where that ever happened. And in the theater, I didn't even know, my dad had to tell me after, you know, you, you, know, you know that... Clue wasn't real, right? <laughs> and I, I was like, what? It was CGI? But, and this was the first time I realized, oh my god, you know, like, special effects and movie magic are really, like, this big thing in, in mm-hmm. the film. It's not just people acting. It's, there's so much more going into a movie. Right. But, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. What was, I can't really remember the first time digital de-aging like this was used. I mean, what, like, something.
0: I'm not, like, entirely familiar with, like, the, the history of de-aging. But I feel like this... It's pretty this early on. Was, ...was easily probably, like, a, a pretty groundbreaking...
1: It's pretty early on, and well, it definitely, it definitely um, is noticeable watching it now compared to what we have.
0: Well, I think it's I think it's really interesting. Um, I thought it was really funny in the opening scene where the camera mostly is just behind him. Behind him, yeah. Because you could tell they were trying to make up for the fact that they de-aged him. And when they they show him, because the camera pans around his face, and you finally see him, it doesn't look great, but that scene is set... You know, yeah. In the real world, I think because of the suspension of disbelief once they're actually in the game, kicks in. Then it, I think it it kind of works to its benefit because it's supposed to look like a video game. He he just reminded me of a character from a video game cutscene included. So well, so it actually worked it worked pretty well for me.
1: To be honest, I'm not even entirely sure because I've watched I watched something long ago about the making of this film. I'm not entirely sure this was a de aging process. I think this may have been. Like this is a CGI model of his head that they did, that they try mm-hmm. to recreate a younger version, and that's why it doesn't look as well as as good. I mean, I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but because obviously the technology now is you have the actor acting, it's the, the person there. But I'm not sure if real Jeff Bridges was in these scenes or it was a body double and they put a face. That's, on very, it. Possible. that's
0: Cause, very possible. Because because this
1: is this is before you know that big push. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You know the opening of the movie, and you're you're introduced to the. Well, first I'll start with that. This is actually a pretty good sequel. It is surprisingly has a, a surprising amount of tie-ins to the original 1982 film. Mm-hmm. Like obvi- obviously Jeff Bridges. Like there's the opening scene with um, it's the guy who plays Scarecrow in The Dark Knight. It's, it's so they're at this business meeting, the NCOM table or whatever, and right. there's the guy. He's an actor. He's in a lot of stuff now.
0: Cillian
1: Murphy. Silly yeah, thank you. Um, and his character. He goes, his father, you know, the chairman goes, his father helped with his company, you know, let's say John Dillinger or whatever. And But his dad, Dillinger, was a main character in the original, mm-hmm. which takes place, I think, about seven years before this movie. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that, that's, that stuff is super cool. Like, the character of Alan, like, that's Tron. Like, that, mm-hmm. that guy was Tron in the first Tron. And it's you know it's continuous it's not a, it's not a reboot it's late well, it as a reboot but it's not a rewrite it they just kept that world and right. kept moving with it and i i really appreciated that
0: i'm not familiar i'm not super familiar with the original tron <laughs> i i haven't i haven't seen it but still i was watching this with my roommate and he would be pointing out reference because he was he grew up with this movie and he grew up with the original tron and he would be pointing out like references like that's a reference to the first movie that's the reference to the first movie and i feel like even though I can't say this for sure because I am again unfamiliar with it, I feel like this movie pays a ton of reverence to to that opening. So that's that first.
1: To so that first one, absolutely. <laughs> like there's a scene with the where the door opens. That's, that's I think that's the, the, the most obvious. Door. The big door. And yeah.
0: The quote where like this this pretty big door. After, yeah, yeah. That, that's
1: from the first one. And when you're watching it, it seems pretty cheesy, but it's it's a, it's a I think it's a fun homage. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, and then. So let's see. But and then watching it through, there's a... And I was taking notes while I watched it, so I'm able, I was able to pick up on these things. And you, you've only seen it once. But, mm-hmm. like, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of great symmetry between uh, Kevin Flynn's character and later Clue. Like So in the beginning, he's giving this speech about... It's CGI Jeff Bridges, and he's giving this speech about um, the digital frontier. Mm-hmm. And it is, word for word, you just switch out the digital frontier, the same speech as Clue is giving at the end to his army... But this time, Earth is the frontier, frontier. and I th- I just love I, the whole movie. One of my favorite themes of the whole movie is this theme of perfection and how Kevin Flynn, as a character, didn't know perfection, and so when he created a copy of himself to find perfection, you know, of course, it's just I think it's a tra- it's a tragedy almost because mm-hmm. this this program, this computer program, doesn't know anything else. This is just what it's been told to do, right? And and I like there's a there's a line in the end where. Uh, Sam his son is saying you know this place must have been great until clue screwed it all up and Kevin Flynn goes well I, I he's me I yeah. screwed it up you know chasing after perfection it was right in, it was right in front of me all along
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I love I love stuff like that but I'm gonna try and go pretty uh, in chronological order here so it opens uh, good shots the 80s you know it goes side Tron and there's this cool scene after it's a uh, because it starts with young Sam Flynn, and he's mm-hmm. like, "Oh, we go into the world," and that's where we first see the CGI version of Jeff Bridges, and he has the action figures. <laughs> I love this line later. He's like, "I have a three-inch version of you on my shelf." Yeah. <laughs>
0: during the um, during the, the games,
1: the disc, the disc, world disc world. wars, yeah. yeah. But then you know he leaves, and it cuts to this this black room of all these TVs and all the different news uh, news going. Oh, Kevin Flynn has disappeared, and then. The, his son has been left to an heir... He's an heir to the empire and chaos. And, you know, the board is coming out. And then it cuts to 20 years later. And this kid is... It's a great shot of him him on the bicycle. And it cuts to him on the motorcycle just seamlessly. Mm-hmm. And that's when first the Daft Punk soundtrack kicks in. That I I just think I love he's so really much. That's
0: one of the best aspects of this movie.
1: Absolutely. I think if you like it, like this movie or not, the soundtrack to this movie is just it's just a, it's so good. Or the, I'm not sure if it's a soundtrack or a score, to techn, technically, because the music was... I don't know how Daft, what Daft Punk's credit is, but the music made by them for this movie is just phenomenal. It is mm-hmm. so good. I, I loved the, the, the end combo as 12, obviously, a, sort of an Apple play of, you know, what do we do this year? Oh, we put a 12 on the box. Right. So I, I love that, because this is coming out in 2010, so it's, it's before, you know, the big... Apple you know realization that's just sort of the same thing every year mm. but there was there was some fun ideas playing around with the, the technology of, of the quote unquote future uh, and then uh, so this character Sam Kevin Flynn's son he is I just love I love this I love how he's living and he's living in a shipping container mm this modified shipping container. I remember as a kid, I thought that was so cool. It's like, that is the house I want. And he's, he's got the dog, he's got the sweet motorcycle and he's just chilling out on his couch with this great view and then this is when I was like, I didn't realize this when I first watched it but the Tron from the original film, uh, his name is Alan, Starts the is Bradley is his last name and he goes, I got a page from your dad and he's like, what? And he, so he goes to this arcade where he got the page from and I, I think this is a great scene. You know, you have, so in, in the arcade, you have "Sweet Dreams" and um, "Separate Ways" playing, and when you listen to the lyrics of those songs, I think they're they're really uh, they're really cool to see where he's going. Because the movie does
0: a really interesting thing with the concept of nostalgia, just through both the soundtrack and through all the cinematography and set design and uh, yeah, in the actual Tron game itself,
1: in um, the grid. Yeah, as, yeah, as the they grid, say yeah. but this idea that you know Kevin Flynn's chasing after this digital frontier he's looking for you know these questions about philosophy and religion he's looking for them digitally not in the real world mm-hmm. and I think I think, just think that's a fun concept right. and the song Sweet Dreams in several ways you know everybody's looking for something and he's looking he's looking for this mm-hmm. and I love the scene where Sam Flynn enters the grid where everything just digitizes he's like boot up laser and he's like I wonder what this is gonna do and he sort of just turns into these black squares and he wakes up in, in a, a different version of the arcade. And, right. I mean, that part is never explained. You know, that's one of those things when you're watching a movie you're like, how? Do, how how do, how do these people are being digitized? I don't know, it doesn't matter. It's yes. freaking awesome. I wrote <laughs> But uh, then you get there and it's just this crazy, light, you know, retro 80s world and it's just so cool. He's just thrust into it and I... I I'm gonna repeat this a lot. There's just great symmetry between the real world and this grid. Like when the when the ship comes down and it lights him up, just like the helicopter lit him up in the mm-hmm. in the real world. There's it's just like the same shot. It's the exact same shots, just in different contexts.
0: Right.
1: And I, I love I love I love mirrors like that in movies. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, then you're just sort of thrust into this world from there on out, and it's, from there on out, it's pretty fast paced. The first twenty minutes about of this movie are in the real world and the whole time is like gotta get to the grid gotta get to the cool stuff mm-hmm. but as soon as you're there yeah, it just takes off I think yeah. it, I think it's yeah I really like it
0: I mentioned just a couple minutes ago I think this movie does uh, pretty cool things with the uh, the concept of nostalgia and the concept of like holding onto the past because I like Kevin Flynn he had been in the grid for so long trying to search for like the this you
1: know the miracle as he right, said right just
0: the miracle like the just search for perfection, and he's so stuck in the past because of that. And so, everything around him is this is like, in the same vein. It's this retro 80s esque yeah. thing where he's not living in the present. He's literally living in this virtual reality in the past.
1: Yeah, and I, I actually I stand corrected. I think the movie opens with a, with a dialogue by Kevin Flynn saying, you know I imagine, you know programs and what do they look like? Do they look like cars and bikes. Like this is just his. This whole world is just his projection, which I think is another right. one of the great concepts of the movie, where he is—he's quite literally God here. Like mm. he is the creator of everything, right. and that is a really fun concept that is played with. I think there's a great scene later in the club where he walks through, and this program, this is a computer program, like goes down to pray to him, mm-hmm. like that. That's just a super cool little touch. Like
0: it's—he is—he
1: is, like, is the creator, and and. and but just the fact that a computer program can have faith in this in this man, mm-hmm. in this in this digital world, I thought was so. And it's just little things like that, little things that they they just sort of drop through it, that I think are more profound than just the you know retro eighties cool look. Right. Um, but from there, we go to the suit up scene, where he, he has to he's going into this grid, the the, the games as they say. And these these four women in all white come stepping out in unison, and you're like, oh my god, what's going on here? I think it's a funny scene, and I think that character's name is Jem, is the girl Jem. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, I was always like, oh, this is this is crazy, and then he gets thrown up. And they have the
0: they have the one line of dialogue where one of one of the women says like, he's he's different.
1: yeah he's different
0: yeah yeah because he's a user right so so it points it points at this idea that like he's not supposed to be here like I mean obviously you know he's not supposed to be here because he's yeah. Yeah, um, in this situation but um, he goes down he gets, he, gets, he gets suited up and gets lifted up to do the, these games, he gets mm-hmm. chosen to do these games and he's basically forced to fight this guy named Rinsler mm-hmm. and then Rinsler, it's in this fight he's trying to dodge all these attacks and Rinsler cuts him and he bleeds, bleeds. and then that's when everyone realizes that he's a human he's a, being he's yeah. a user yeah,
1: I love I love the character of Rindler so much because he is sort of like he's I'm I'm a big Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. Right. He's sort of like better and I, I say this in a pure film sense. So if any Star Wars fans who are listening, don't be offended, I know. But he's sort of like Darth Maul, but better. Like Darth Maul in the Phantom Menace. Like I understand I, I please I'm a big fan. I know Darth Maul has other stories now. It's, he's a better character. But when the Phantom Menace came out, and it's just, you see just Darth Maul in this movie, just exclusively him. He yeah. has, like, no lines. He has two lines. And he, fight, he fights cool and then dies. And then that's it. Right. It's an, and, you know, I can't imagine what it must have been like in '99, just being like, what just happened? <laughs> you know, <laughs> there he goes. But this character, Rinsler, has that cool fighting style but also has a super cool reveal to him. That connects to the original film, mm-hmm. and it connects back that the fact that he is Tron, I think, is a super cool twist on the, you know, dark brooding fighting character. That this this guy actually has, you know, at the end there, he goes, "I fight for the users," and he changes back. Right. And I I just think that's a really cool um, really cool spin on that character archetype. That there there is some substance to his. He has a personality. He's not just this killing machine. Mm-hmm. But um, And something I noticed when I was watching that I definitely didn't notice is the first time I noticed it. When Tron is being killed, there's this flashback sequence where you think Tron has died. Like, the Rinzler noise is like, he sort of has this guttural, like, I, I can't really make the noise, but, like, growling. Mm-hmm. And when you think you see Clue kill Tron, that noise is then immediately made, and there's cool, like, he, the fact that he has two discs in the flashback. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's right. hints there that... Maybe this guy is trying. As soon as Kevin Flynn sees him, he goes, "That's Tron." Mm-hmm. He sees the two discs. And he goes, "Oh my god, Tron!" And there's this great shot later where they're flying in a jet, or and Rinzler is in another jet, and they flip over the cockpit. And Kevin Flynn looks up to the sky, and they make eye contact. And he just goes, "You know, what are you doing, man?" And he sort of in Tron, Rinzler now Tron sort of snaps out of it. Right. And I just thought that was a great. It's just, it's a great arc of a mm-hmm. character who could have been just you know, a character to make an action figure out of. I think there's there's more
0: there. Oh, for sure. Which I really sure. like.
1: I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so they're, yeah, they're in... Oh, sorry.
0: Oh, no, I was just, just going to, you know, concur that, like, there's a, a surprising amount of depth in a movie that I feel like on... And, and maybe an initial viewing or just, like a, like, a surface level... Thing might just be oh it's just it's just eighties nostalgia it's just pure eighties nostalgia with no substance but I think there's a lot there that you can really delve into yeah it's is not not saying that this is like the most deep movie ever but there's just more there's more, more, there's more the than,
1: than meets the eye for sure and I think now that we're talking about Rings I think it's a great opportunity to talk about the costume design I think the costume design the the art department of this movie just absolutely nailed it set design oh for sure every prop it just looks. It just looks great. It's so believable in this mm-hmm. this digital world. You're supposed you know right. like this is in a computer. It just looks so cool. The orange on the black right. and the sleek it's,
0: glass. Oh, it's so good. The 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 set design in the production is is it's all this uniform like blues and grays with these orange accents and it's just brings a lot of, of character to, to the world.
1: Yeah, it does, and especially in the in the because there's typically it's like orange or blue or like this lightish green and mm-hmm. I, I like there's a there's a good sort of parallel there between you know these are the good guys these are the bad guys but also you know i, I don't know i just th- i just think the costume design is it's one of my favorite parts like mm-hmm. really leaving the theater when i was nine what i was thinking about was how cool those dudes looked
0: right,
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> like everybody looked just so cool
0: mm-hmm.
1: and to be, you know speaking of cool you know after after we have that he meets the Rinzler so they find out he's a user and he gets taken he gets he gets taken to Clue and i think Clue this is my favorite Clue outfit of the whole movie he has this long robe this orange robe mm-hmm. and he takes off the helmet and he goes dad and this is a great scene it is a great scene where he he's like oh that's a hell of a way to treat your son cuz Clue is just being sort of um, standoffish with him because mm-hmm. he thinks this is his dad because the last time he saw his dad he looked just like this he's like oh my god you've been here all this time right. and then the conversation ends with "You know, I'm very happy to see you but I'm not your father mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just love the reveal because this—he, Sam Flynn has known about this guy for the past 20 years or in as a fantasy at least right. his dad the, one of the first lines of the movie is his dad telling him about the codified likeness utility which is Clue he's like I made this guy to help me out. And little Sam Flynn goes, Oh, clue. So this is something that's been on his mind. So he instantly realizes this guy is clue. You know, this is, this is a, a figure in his life, both a literal action figure and a, a, just a figure in his mind for, since he was eight years old. Right. So, or seven years old. So I think that is also a super cool. spin on this villain character. Cause he's, he's a villain. He's the villain. But at the same time, he's also this kid's father. He's a perfect copy of the father. The right. villain and the hero are, you know, this, they're based on the same thing, and I think that's a super cool concept to play with. That it's instantly, you know, you don't need a backstory to this guy. You don't need like, you know, the Clue origin movie. You don't need a Joker <laughs> movie for Clue <laughs> because you just instantly know because this has been with him this whole time. And I, I, I think it something about Clue. He's what well, he's a, he's I think he's a really underrated villain. Something about just the psychology of this computer program. Mm-hmm. I think is really interesting to explore.
0: That confrontation is really cool because it, you know, not only about what you just said, but like I feel like it adds a lot to your understanding of of the world. And I feel like, well, he would obviously rem- remember that face um, as like his father, but uh, at least at least as an audience member, I was like, okay, well, he hasn't aged at all. So like, how does how does this world work? Is he just not aged when he's in the when he's in the uh, in the grid the, the grid you know, um, but then you realize it's not actually his father, and yeah, so that answers your question. Then you realize, like, you understand more as as the lead characters understand more.
1: But also, you have this realization that if Clue's in charge, then you know where is Kevin right. Flint because he's, yeah, he's cause, supposed cause to be he's nowhere else, and he's supposed to be yeah. this helper figure that was supposed to help shape this perfect world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so you go, oh, you know what? What went wrong? Right. And I think that's a fun question, but it, it would immediately jump from that into the uh, into the light cycles, and I think this is just a great scene in just movies. This is just a great because it's this classic Tron game, you know, which you've played in in class. Sorry, when I tapped, um, that's okay. You 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 played in class while you're you know in fourth grade math or whatever with the little two bikes, you know, and you you, you click you click shift and you go faster, and you know you you play this game, but seeing it realized as this like. You know this hundred million dollar movie action sequence. I think it's pretty cool.
0: Right. I think it's. Yes, <laughs> I think I think if there's one, you know, word to describe it, it's just it's just really really cool and really fun to watch. I think comparing it because I watched part of like the um the the motorbike scene from the original or part yeah. of the motorbike scenes from the original and. Obviously, they couldn't achieve what they are able to hear. Yes, with when it you know in nineteen eighty two and all the effects are really rudimentary and they don't hold up very well. No, I think <laughs> they do is, not. This is like super well re- realized, and I think for the most part, the visual effects completely hold hold up. up yeah,
1: the, the effects, the most of the effects of this movie still, I think, do hold up for right. the most part. I think for the most part, yeah, it's still, you know, you can tell what's going on. It's watchable. It looks good. It's Especially because of the context of it being in a computer, mm-hmm. it helps the, it suspend the disbelief that this is what it looks like inside of the computer. And it's, right. it's easy to say, oh yeah, this is what it is. But this, yeah, this is also where I think the sound design really shines too. Just the noises of everything. Everything makes such great, well, like when a disc bounces off something, and makes a great noise. When the, when the cycles turn on, when they sort of transform, when they materialize out of the light, mm-hmm. I just think it's... It's great. It's great sound design for sure. Oh yeah,
0: no totally, totally. I think in a lot of ways, the early 2010s was sort of the the peak of like <laughs> just overdone visual effects. Just you know, throw it out there. Just colors, like oh. They they just like they, they just go there. I think a lot of movies in this era, like Avatar and like. Uh, oh
1: yeah, I guess Avatar was right there with it. Two thousand nine, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. year before, just just, just over. i do not. I wouldn't say. Now we may say an over reliance on visual effects or on special effects, but both I think both of those movies still hold up relatively well. Right. So I think
0: I think totally. There's the famous uh, George Lucas quote that's like special effects are mean to, are are not a mean of telling the story. That's not verbatim, but I feel like the movie uses uses the special effects specifically to highlight on its world building and to tell its story really well. Yeah, to to tie it back into Joker.
1: Um, I think the one of the best characters of the Joker movie is Gotham City. I think God, this is the one of the best realizations of Gotham City in any uh, any any movie. Because mm-hmm. I think in the Dark Knight trilogy, it's like this is just New York and Chicago. Right. But in this in this in this Joker movie, Gotham is like this is Gotham as we've seen it in the comics. Mm-hmm. And in the, in Tron Legacy, you know the city the city of the grid. This grid city is also this very well realized you know mm-hmm. entity. That you sort of see evolve, and there are little hints of, you know, revolution. Much like in, much like in Joker, you hear things in the background. You see side characters right. interacting with other side characters, just, just in brief, just brief scenes, and just brief sidelines that you go, oh, what's that? You know, oh, what, what is going on in this larger world? Mm-hmm. And I, I think both of, you know, both of those movies, um, they really do world building well. Just background, just background stuff. Just total, you know, you look off to the side and you see, oh, that's a cool that's a cool-looking thing. You know, I wonder if that'll come up. Most of the times it doesn't, and and Joker, I think, you know, not to go back too much, but there is a big payoff to Gotham City building, but just for Tron, mostly it's just in the back of your head you go, oh, this is a cool world. Right. Or this is is a world that I would, I I can see why Kevin Flynn wanted to expose the real world to this world.
0: Right. Right. I think there's shots where it's like just of all these towers and these futuristic uh, buildings and, and and everything there, but then off to the side you see like a bunch of things, this blue murky, just like, you want to know what's out there. You want to know what's out there, yeah. yeah.
1: And another total, just it's a one line in the movie that I think totally changed my perspective. I hadn't noticed it before, but Kevin Flynn is the creator of The Grit and he's in exile. And Clue can't make new programs. So this city has a finite amount of people they can't reproduce right. they can't you know we'll get to it later but there was a purge of the of the people who probably could who were the way forward and so it's just it's just this finite amount of people that grows smaller and smaller until you know, until there's no more computer, which is what can, you know, a computer runs until it doesn't. Right. Like it goes and goes and goes and eventually it breaks, you know, the computer, the comput- two Apple Macs don't get together and make a new computer. Right. So I think it's a really fascinating idea of this, like there's, just, there's X amount of people right. and it's, it's going to go they're down. There
0: until they're and they're gone. there
1: until they're gone. And they're there until they're gone. You're not dealing with human beings here. They have a totally different mindset, mm-hmm. which watching the movie, it just, it's, it's interesting to think about and it adds into that world building into the, the way the city works the way people or programs go about their lives and I, think, I think that's interesting another interesting thing but um, so now we get into where the character of Korra gets in so during this light cycle match we see a cool you know masked figure and it looks like Sam Flynn is about to go head to head with Clue and doesn't look too good and then you know deus ex machina comes in and she saves him and again, the cool, the cool light car, yeah. the the missile car, or whatever, like something out of Speed Racer, and they they drive away into the into the deadlands or the badlands. And this is this character, this character played by um Olivia Olivia Wilde, right? Yep. Yeah, Olivia Wilde. Who, watching it again, she has a lot less screen time than I remember. She really isn't in in this movie too much. But by the end, I you know I still think she's a well realized character. But yeah, this movie is really about. Kevin Flynn and Clue I think. And right. I think Cora is um is a means is a, it means to a storytelling end. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just
0: Yeah, no Kevin Kevin Flynn is very much the one character with the most identifiable arc. Like it's, yeah. it's it's just his story of trying to come to terms with the fact that you know he's been trying to like achieve this perfection and then he realizes how much he's messed up and then Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's a it's a it's a sad story. I yeah. think ultimately, mm. but anyway, so we get introduced to this character of Cora, and Olivia Wilde does a fine job. You know, there's, I don't think I think she has she does a pretty good performance. Mm. Uh, and then this is when we we reunite Sam Flynn and Kevin Flynn for the first time out his out in his, uh, his sort of hideout, his it's bunker, included. his bunker, yeah. which I think has a super cool design. Mm. Everything is silver you know there's it's all it's all what well, well, the floor is all white the room is all white and not everything else is this silver like at one point one of my favorite scenes is when Clue goes there and he picks up the apple and he sees himself in the reflection mm-hmm. and he has the flashback of when he, he was created I and mean, that's a great scene and he swipes the table mm-hmm. he wipes it all clean because this this is him and it's just but anyway so they reunite mm-hmm. and <laughs> later on there's some good conversation about uh what the the real world has become. He's talking about Wi-Fi, and he's like, I thought of of that in 86. (laughs) That was a funny line. But this is the, uh, this is where he talks about, I believe, the exposition scene about the ISOs and what happened, what was the sort of the, what happened to the grid. Mm -hmm. So it is revealed that there were these ISOs who sort of just emerged out of, it's sort of evolution, digital evolution. <laughs> the line is, bio-digital jazz, man. It's, it's one of my... It's such a good delivery, too, by hmm. Jeff Bridges. He's really channeling the dude in this movie. and He's it's bio-digital jazz, man.
0: It's Actually, like, he is channeling the dude in a lot of ways because he's just like, oh, I'm just going to do nothing because I can't do anything. I can't do anything,
1: yeah. And there's a lot of great lines where he goes, you know, the old man's going to go knock on the sky, listen to the sound. Like, there's a lot of just cool, like... Because he's this hippie guy from the right. 80s stuck in this future world and so it's, it's 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 a funny juxtaposition but um so there were these isos which is this digital evolution of sort of it's a not an organism but a program that's it's sort of like ai it's as if an ai you know evolved in a in a computer mm-hmm. which to some degree is what's what happens you know so there's these i believe, I believe it stands for isomorphic algorithm I wrote yeah. i wrote that down
0: mm-hmm.
1: and there were they were these uh you know these. He describes them as naive, but incredibly wise, because there's these new, they they're these new people, but they have all this knowledge. I guess mm-hmm. it's it's explored more actually in the um in the video game. I remember playing it. That's that's that that game is sort of about the fall of the Isos and how Clued takes power, mm-hmm. which I think is super fascinating. It's very easy to model your villains on Nazis, because. You know, it's, it's, it's a pretty standard thing to do, especially, right. especially in Disney movies. You're like, mm-hmm. all right, the, there, there's these other people. you know, They're different, and then this, this bad person wiped them all out.
0: Right.
1: And, but I, and I was thinking about it. I was like, well, maybe it's not – because I think there are deeper themes to Clue. He's not just you know, a Hitler parallel, as sometimes villains are. There's mm-hmm. just these big, bad dictators because he has the element of being a copy of Kevin Flynn, which right. I think is a great twist. On on the on just a classic bad guy like this guy has done bad things, right? Uh, but so we get that exposition of there were these other people and now they're gone. They were all wiped out and that's that's why there was this divide. That's why Kevin Flynn left. He tried to fight against Clue. There was this you know a resistance, as is mentioned a lot by side characters. There was there was initially a resistance. There was a rebellion. But it just it didn't work out. It didn't work out. So mm-hmm. he has taken himself out of the equation because he, re- he saw that he was doing more harm than good being this figure. He was you know, letting people die. And so he has taken Cora, who was revealed to be the last ISO, the last you know, evidence of his, of his achievement, right. uh, out into the you know, middle of nowhere. And I'm not sure if it's implied that he raised her. Because it's been, you know, so long, and when he found her, since then, you know, many cycles ago, so to some degree, he he has become a father figure to her as well,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which creates an interesting dynamic between her and Sam Flynn, because they both share this relationship with the father figure, right. which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But uh, Sam is not buying the whole.
0: And it's like while while Kevin Flynn was there for her, he wasn't. He wasn't there for his, his real son. for his
1: real son. Yeah. yeah. So Sam isn't buying the sit-back-and-do-nothing approach. I, right. ble- I believe the line is, you know, it's Clue's game now. You know, he, put, he brought you into, into the game because it was revealed that he sent the pager to bring him in mm-hmm. to open this portal. Oh, I skipped over that. So there's this portal that opens. That is how uh, users enter and exit. Mm-hmm. But it's only open for a split second in real time, which is about eight hours in the, in the grid world. Right. So Clue brought him in. But Kevin Flynn's philosophy is, you know, this is Clue's game. The only way to win is to not to play. Right. We, you know, we can't do anything. But Sam Flynn is, you know, this young, hot-headed kid, so he's not having any of it. Mm-hmm. He's not, have, not having any of it. Mm-hmm.
0: And with the portal being open gives the chance for Clue to escape.
1: Clue to escape as well.
0: And there's the line about how, how, you know...
1: If I can be in here, he thinks he can be out there.
0: And also just... You know he is searching for the embodiment of perfection. What's more imperfect than than our world? Yeah. So, I think that's an interesting dynamic as well. I that's one of my favorite lines in the entire movie.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of good lines. Kevin Flynn has a lot of good lines, and Jeff Bridges absolutely delivers on the performance. Mm -hmm. But so, Sam Flynn has he takes the original light bike. He goes to so Cora knew someone back in the day during the the purge as they call it. Named Zeus, he's sort of like an old. She describes him as sort of this old, you know. He was like a gunrunner, rebel, and he fought along the Isos during the, you know, during the revolution. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think describing him that way, I think sets him up to be really cool. And I, he's actually so this character of Zeus, who was revealed, Caster, I think, is his real name. Favorite character of the movie, played by Michael Sheen. He's a stage actor. Phenomenal performance. It is my favorite performance of the film, and it's one of the most. It's a character that sticks with me from this movie. I just he's like a benchmark for me for crazy characters. He is just so good. He's
0: very uh, he's very David Bowie esque. Yeah, he's has, like, had, but he has like a German accent. It's yeah, he so like interesting.
1: it's so great. There's a, yeah, there's a scene where he goes through like German, British, like Scottish, like into a, like a cowboy accent yeah. all in one sentence, and it's Boy. like that is just that's so good. That's so good. Um, but he goes he thinks so he goes to this club the end of line club Mm -hmm. everything that happens in this club is my favorite stuff in this movie hands down by far and away it's this end of line club so it's out in this giant tower on the edge of the city looking over the just this endless wasteland that is you know whatever's left on a hard drive I guess
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: because there's only so much because I get there's only so much space on a computer so that's sort of what they're going for there there can only be X amount of stuff in there
0: which is pretty clever
1: which yeah. I think yeah, yeah I think is clever so this is like this club that's out there and he uh, so Sam Flynn you know, takes the original light cycle and he meets up with Jem the woman earlier who's told him to survive in the, in the grid games
0: mm-hmm.
1: who is revealed later to be sort of a double agent but she takes him up to the club and there's this is this is, my, this is where most of the world building takes in So there's this character there who you see, Caster, who is sort of the... He's the owner of the bar. And he's talking to this guy from the Resistance, and he's like, you could unite the Resistance factions, you know, we could resist against Clue. And he's like, well, Zeus could do all of that. He's pretending to be this sort of gatekeeper between him him and Zeus, but obviously they're the same person.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That's just some cool world building. And he's like, well, we could do that, but... And then he turns and sees uh you know the son of the makers as he calls them. like that's su- i think that's a super cool concept in this movie because he doesn't you know he doesn't feel like a godlike figure but he is this, you know sort of he's this bi- almost biblical figure to them right he's the son of the, the person who created this place and so you know he's like hey, you know go away i'll talk to you later i got i have important business to attend to and he takes him up and there's this great scene where he hands him a drink and he goes you know i need to meet zeus and he goes you just did and he hands him the drink and revealed that he is Zeus right? and then <laughs> so while this is happening because Sam Flynn took the light bike and he dropped it off in the city the uh, the character sort of Clue's toady named Jarvis is able to determine the original point of it which is uh, Kevin Flynn's sort of bunker out in the wasteland and so they go Clue takes a team him Rinsler some guys and they go investigate this bunker and that's where he has this he has the memory of how he was created,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's that it's that also is up there, in the scenes of the movie, because it, it the whole scene is almost all it's all silent. There's no there's no dialogue in the whole scene. It's just Clue walking around, his his uh, his maker's home and just looking and just seeing, you know, what what has become of him, mm-hmm. and I I think it's just really effective. And he he picks up the silver apple is what he does. He looks into it and he sees himself. I, I, I think it's just really really good stylistic touches of this movie. But, so it is revealed then that uh, this caster guy, double agent, he's working for Clue the whole time. He's just a sort of just, this is why I love him so much. He's just this crazy, he's playing all the angles, as Sam Flynn said. He's playing, right. he's playing every angle at all times. So I, li- I liked that, that this, what Cora thought was this good guy, you know, this rebel fighter, this gunrunner helping her out is in reality just just an opportunist.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the, the, even in this digital world, there are programs who are like, yeah, I'll do whatever <laughs> just to get ahead. Right. Excuse me. <coughs> so.
0: Again, bringing up the parallels between the real world and, and, the, digital and, world. and the digital world. Yeah.
1: And I, I just love him as a character. He has like this cane gun he yeah. whips out and it's like a, like
0: a machine gun. It's like it's
1: a machine like a, gun. He's like a classic mob he, boss. He
0: does like the Scarface thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, and he goes, the son of Omega. It's, he, he, the guy Michael Sheen just has some great line delivery. Mm-hmm. Great line delivery. But, so clues, blackguards bust through the ceiling and then Daft Punk, Daft Punk start blasting. In this club, and they have this. I think
0: it's so funny that they have this <laughs> they have Daft Punk, Daft Punk when they're actually scoring the. the they're movie. scoring.
1: Movie. I think it's funny because, as a kid, I didn't know who that was because they look like they fit in. You know, right. they look because Daft Punk on their own look like they're they're just an eighties nostalgia album cover, just the way they dress. Right. So, they fit in really well. Mm-hmm. They're all chrome plated, and <laughs> so it is funny that they have a cameo. But I. I I think I like it. I think I like that they're there. Mm-hmm. But the song—I uh, was so obsessed with the song. It's called Drezd, which is what happens when, you know, a program gets destroyed. They get D-resolution, de-re- Drezd mm-hmm. is the abbreviation, and that's the name of the song. And I just love it so much. It's, I was obsessed with it from the moment I heard it. It's just this, <laughs> sort of this club beat that's playing as, oh, there's this awesome fight scene, and I, it's just so great. Mm-hmm. It's what it, it's 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 a great scene. I, Honestly, the action doesn't it's not the best. It doesn't hold up nearly as well as I remember it in terms of like choreography. But it's still cool to just watch just cuz it's the crazy like light light swords and disks and Oh yeah. It just it just looks cool. Cuz this is one of those moments where I think this was a real set. You know, this is a real set that they built this club mm. that they're fighting in. I don't think there's a lot of I don't think it's a green screen like they're fighting in this digital club mm. in real life. And I thought I just think that's a nice touch. That there's a, they actually use a lot of sets in this opposed to say something like, Attack of the Clones, which I was just going
0: to say. That I feel like I've heard comparisons between this movie and the prequels, and I don't think that's really true because I think there's I'm, so much heart put into the production design and put into every aspect of the technical stuff. Whereas at Attack of the Clones and all the prequels were just like they're in front of a green screen the entire time and just yeah, it's, you know, it's lifeless and flat,
1: and it's very noticeable now. And you know a quick uh, you know the prequels there were actually a lot of really good models built for those but they're just overshadowed by the fact that everything just layered on top of it is all CGI right like like there was good model work put into that movie those movies which I think is underappreciated but you're absolutely right in this movie Mm -hmm. it it feels it's different it's different but also the fact that it's, you know, it's eight years later right. in terms of how digital effects have progressed. Mm-hmm. But I can see why people would make the comparison, you know, very, very...
0: Or something like, um, not to get too in-depth into other movies, but something like Aquaman. Yeah. When, when you look at the actual costumes that were built for Aquaman, incredible detail, incredible design. They all look amazing. But
1: some of them, they, don't, they just don't feel real even though they right. were made just because of the way... Because that movie's a lot of it's underwater and it just mm-hmm. doesn't look... It doesn't look real.
0: Right. It's It's underwater, and they obviously can't, you know, shoot all that underwater. Underwater, yeah. So it, it has to all be, you know, CG.
1: CGI. Which I think, and just to keep going back to it, the fact that this is taking place in a computer really helps gel the fact that it just, the CGI, it just works. It's not... Trying mm-hmm. to be the real world, it doesn't. Right. It doesn't want you to believe this is reality, like something like an Aquaman or even mm-hmm. in Star Wars. Obviously, it's not real, but they're meant to be these real worlds. And this, it's like this is a computer. You know, right. this isn't. This is a simulation. This is not real in any sense of it. You can and they
0: totally it, suspend your disbelief. Absolutely, this is the world that they they've set up, and everything is so consistent and detailed that you can't help but but. Yeah, like it's the consistent. Alive.
1: It's the consistency right. aspect. Yeah. Like, yeah.
0: Totally. Totally. I think that's what's gonna. It's why this movie holds up surprisingly well after nine, ten years, and I, I think that more people should be talking about this movie in terms of like just digital effects. Oh yeah,
1: totally. Yeah, and I honestly I think the you know none of there's no I don't think there's any that I don't think there's any bad acting either. You know I think the script mm-hmm. is pretty. I think it's fine. You know.
0: I think there's a lot of cheesy lines, but it oh. makes for a, a a fun. It makes playful it, tone. Yeah. 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 Um, it doesn't completely sacrifice dramatic moments.
1: That's that's what I'm going for, yeah. It doesn't sacrifice anything. There's nothing. It doesn't undercut anything else. Because mm-hmm. absolutely there are cheesy points, but nothing is undercut.
0: I, would, I wouldn't like it if this movie, where it's set in the computer and it's a, a digital, fun, sci-fi world, and there's a character named, uh, named Zeus, who's a crazy David Bowie. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't want this movie to take itself super seriously. Sometimes I, I prefer movies
1: to be that way. And to go back to that character of Zeus, my, he is such a, I, he's only in it for a brief amount of time but he mm-hmm. just steals the show and there's this great, it's this great acting where, so, he is, he had made this deal where if he takes Kevin Flynn's disc which is like, you know, the God code, this is, you know, this is how we, you control everything. Right. If he gets this disc for him, he'll get control of the city you know, and Clue can do whatever he wants with the disc because Clue has these secret plans. And as the conversation with Clue, and Clue hasn't doesn't even say a word. He just stares at this guy. And it, it's a shame that it's a CGI model because if it was a real person, the acting would like a great performance. But it's it's the effects still there. Mm. As the conversation, as Zeus is just talking to essentially himself, he's like slowly, slowly. By the end, he goes, "You know, you want me right where I am." <laughs> he starts with so control of the city and, and he works his way back down to please just don't kill me just right. just just talking to himself as as clue stares him down and he he hands him a drink and goes you know enjoy the drink and he goes end of line man and he kills him and i right. it's i i just love it. that's the scene that i always remember it's such such good such good performance it, it sells that's the nail in the coffin for me is like wow clue really is this is this cool villain right I just I just think it's a great it's a great scene, but um, it uh, we missed a couple things to go back. So Kevin Flynn comes into this club after Cora is injured in the fight, and <laughs> she has her arm chopped off. And at first you're like, what? She's a program. How does that work? Everyone else is falling apart. But right. then later comes the reveal that she's an ISO, so she is she can heal. Right. But he gets his disc. That's
0: another. Oh, sorry, I you, But that's another sort of subversion of like the. The, the plot armor trope for the, for the lead characters because at first think like, like oh why is she like not disintegrating yeah. um, and then you find out it's because of that reason so it's, it's
1: it works yeah it works but there's this great shot so Kevin Flynn he, he sort of comes in and every, all the lights go low because he can control everything and he's on his way out and sort of like this grappling hook shoots out and just launches his pulls his disc right off and then Jeff Bridges turns around and gives this look that it's such a good it's it's a quick moment but it's such a good look of just like oh my god disbelief as the door shut and the elevator drops Right. so good I just think it's such a little like it's just little things like that that really make this movie something I love to talk about because mm-hmm. it's it's really something you have to see because obviously a, we're talking about a movie here right. it's obviously the best consumed in a visual medium but it 's just little stuff like that, little just design decisions that I love, so he takes the disc and then immediately he's blasted out the back of the head with by uh, zeus 's cane gun, and then that 's how Zeus gets the disc and is able to barter with clue right but like that scene alone, and there's a lot of violent stuff in this movie if it was with humans like there 's a scene in the beginning where a guy is like i don 't want to live anymore," and he just runs and jumps off a off a, off a bridge into a f- giant fan yeah. blade. It's like oh my god! If this is, I'm glad this is in a you know digital world because right. I'm surprised they got this through the script for the Disney movie because it's pretty intense stuff. Like obviously you it's it, as a kid you don't really notice it because it's all just you know chunks as di- people are being turned into you know digital whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like Spy Kids almost. You don't really notice you know Spy Kids three I think is the one where in the video game yeah. So it, and my, my my point being, you can you can overlook it, but when you really look at what's going on, it's pretty it's pretty graphic.
0: It's it's yes, I mean that scene especially is like is is, is pretty brutal. I'm not 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 really brutal. That might not be my right word for it, but it's like it's it's the same. It's similar as to how they will like decolor blood or change it to like a green color yeah. in order to make a movie like rated PG their team versus rated R it's like they, they they get away with some of the violence by having it be yeah,
1: it's, a, it's a good workaround. yeah it's a good workaround. um but the, I love I just just a, one final time I love the Castor Zeus character it, he is just something about his look too he, he's all white he has this crazy slick back hair he looks very much like David Bowie yeah to be quite honest he, he just has this has this great look to him so, but that's the end line club, and that and they sort of go to this, uh, so like sail this light sail, that's sort of going out into the into that. Because Kevin Flint has this realization, you know, we will do it your way. We'll go to the portal, you mm-hmm. know, maybe 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 I've been wrong. I've sort of been wrong. He begins to contemplate, and that's where on this train while they wait, they sort of have this exposition about, you know, Sam and Kevin talk, uh, Sam and Cora talk. Cora is revealed as ISO. They have a whole discussion about, you know, what his goals were. We've, we've, we've pretty much covered it. We did it sort of, out of, mm-hmm. sort of out of order. But then it also is they sort of – they, Kevin Flynn is like, where is, where is this train going? It's not going the right way. And it's revealed that there's this huge sort of battleship waiting out in the, in the wasteland. He goes, this isn't supposed to be here. And then it's revealed that everything on the train and there's, are just these people, these programs. Mm-hmm. That's when the line I mentioned earlier about Clue can't make programs, so he's just repurposing them because he, right. he can do that. It's like, oh, this is, you know, <laughs> t- tones of, like, human trafficking and slavery. It's like, oh, geez, all these people being, being forced to fight for him. It's like, okay. So then they, they're on this ship, and this is when uh, Clue delivers this great speech to his army that, as I mentioned before, is an exact mirror of a speech that Kevin Flynn gave in the real world, which I, I love that little detail. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's word for word the same, just with a few nouns switched around. About mm. the context and like even even though Clue Clue doesn't even realize it, but he's more like Kevin Flynn than he knows. I love that. I love that too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's 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 very they're very similar. Uh, but Sam goes to get the disc back, the master disc, so they can get out, they can escape, uh, and that's when that light they escape, they go on the light jet sequence, and then we get to, we get to the the final confrontation in the and the sunset. So earlier there was a, uh, a conversation between Sam and Cora about what the sun is like, mm-hmm. which is eventually mirrored in the end when she finally does feel the sunset. Right. But the final confrontation in this movie of, you know, I'll, I'll say it again, Sam Flynn is the main character, but I really think this is Kevin Flynn's movie. Mm-hmm. When Kevin Flynn is there talking to Clue on the bridge, you know, it's powerful stuff. Like, you, he feels bad for him, you know, because he created him, he's responsible for all of his shortcomings, and there's that great line, I mentioned it before about, you know, you, he said, he goes, I, you know, I did what you asked. I, I promised you, you promised me we were going to make this perfect system together. And he goes, I know, man, I, you know, I let, I let you down. And he's like, and he goes, ah. he goes, you, you, you wanted perfection because that's what I wanted when I made you. Mm-hmm. But I don't, you know, perfection is unknowable. There is, there's no such thing. It doesn't exist so it's it's not your fault and there's this brief moment where it looks like Clue is gonna hug Kevin Flynn I'm like that'd be interesting but then you know he punches him down right and he, he you know, he's, he's mad and he goes for the disc and then he's revealed that they've swapped discs and Sam and Cora escape in the classic Tron pose just mm-hmm. like on the poster on his wall which I think, I think that's a great touch. You know, obviously it is the poster for the original Tron. Right. But and
0: the poster for this one. This movie.
1: But just that this, this kid has been seeing this all his life. Like, that's what the figures, his action figures were doing. That's what right. he saw on his wall. You know, he's been, he's been in this world, playing with this world for longer than he knows. You know, he gets there and it may be at first a, uh, a learning curve, but he's still familiar with it because he grew up on it mm-hmm. in the real world. And I, I, I like that touch. But then they escape... And Kevin Flynn reintegrates with Clue, sacrificing himself, a classic hero's sacrifice to save the day, and they live happily ever after, and, you know, it, it it's a, I think it's, I think it's a good ending, because it's not, there's no sequel bait, there's oh. no like, well, this could happen, or there's still XYZ, and even though I wish there were a sequel about uh, Sam and Cora in the real world, and the implications of that, and them mm-hmm. going back to the grid, it's still a satisfying ending, I think. I still I still think it's a very satisfying... Mm-hmm. A satisfying conclusion of the movie. Right.
0: Do you think, like, the emotion between Sam and Kevin is really there?
1: <sighs> so, rewatching it again, I realized how... Also similar to Joker, how short this movie really is. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I just... Being in, you know, today's movie world, there's a lot of long movies. Like... You know, it's the same, using same examples before, The Last Jedi was almost two hours and 40 minutes. Avengers, Avengers Infinity War, two hours and 46. Endgame, three hours and two minutes. And this is a movie that's an hour and 50. Mm-hmm. So movies have really evolved to be these much long. People are able to sit down for much longer form entertainment now. Mm-hmm. But th- back then, I think this is sort of, 2010 is sort of right on the end of the cusp of we have to keep our movie below two hours, so people will want to watch it. Mm-hmm. I think that's with, with some
0: exceptions. We said Avatar earlier, which is near yeah. three hours.
1: Yeah, Avatar is long. Avatar, <laughs> Avatar is a long movie. Yeah, uh, yeah That is a, obviously Titanic, the exception. Yeah. But for the, I'd, I'd say for the most part, for the most part, studios as a,
0: as a common general. Trend. Yeah, yeah, as a
1: trend, so there is noticing it again. Something I noticed earlier, like I said with Cora, she's in the movie a lot less than I remember. I think similar. That's a similar answer to how much relationship there really is between uh, Kevin and uh, Kevin and Sam. There isn't as much of emotional weight as I remember, but mm. I still think it's there, though. I still think the movie is able to deliver the fact that their father and son, just in the in the few scenes they have. Honestly, I think there's some great uh, scenes between when the first scene, the very first scene, is very brief. When, but when Sam thinks that Clue is his father,
0: mm-hmm.
1: just just the way that Sam reacts. Shows how much he, he cares, you mm-hmm. know how much he's been searching for him. Uh, obviously, the intro scene between Flynn and Young Young Sam. Mm-hmm. Uh, I th- I, th- I think it is there, whether it's direct or indirect, but the way they think about each other, you know, there's there's a, a fair few scenes where they're not in the same scene, but they're yeah. either referencing each other or talking about each other or wishing they could have done things like there's there's this great line where he says he would have traded kevin Flynn says he would have traded the whole time in his grit just for one one more day with his son because he was taken away from him so abruptly
0: Hmm.
1: but i know yeah i think i think it is there i think there is sufficient uh narrative development between the two but also the fact that just everyone is a human everyone watching this has a father at some point or maybe not have known their fathers but they have a father Mm -hmm. so they know they're able to relate pretty instantly to the (laughs) the, <laughs> what it's like to have a father mm-hmm. because that's a pretty universal thing so just the fact that they are, f- are father and son people can bring their own relationships into that and sort of put it, sure. put, yeah, it yeah. put it onto that um, I remember I mean I saw this movie with my dad so I, I have a very close relationship with my father so I you know that that's you know that connects with me like I, I get that mm-hmm. which it may be different for some people but I think it's definitely it is both it's both a blank slate in in the sense that you can put your own relationship sort of paste it onto their relationship Mm -hmm. and uh, you know it's it's a it's a full page I think they I think the the writing is there to establish their
0: relationship I think that there was I thought this that they were going to approach it in sort of like the stereotypical absentee father thing that you see in a lot of movies yeah you and I think you end up yeah, once you understand Kevin's disposition and the fact that he's literally trapped there yeah. like there's nothing that he could do you start to feel more you feel to sympathetic feel sympathy yeah. towards Kevin uh, but I feel like in terms of the emotion on Sam's front I feel like there, there could have been more
1: yes okay that point I'll definitely I definitely see where you're coming from mm-hmm. for sure because yeah Kevin is the one who really gets the development there because right. for most, most movies most I'll say stories storytelling mediums you do get the absentee father who made some decision and ran away from it or has to come around on knowing. But this is just a guy who he just got screwed. You know, he didn't want to leave his son. Mm -hmm. He still cared for him the whole time. He never thought he would see him again. And so that, that, you know, that is there, but Sam is just very partially because he is the story's main character and he's this, you know, hotshot kid. Who's always doing something, you know, he, he has to drive the story Mm -hmm. forward. Like when he takes off from the, from the bunker, it takes away from there isn't time for him to uh, reminisce and, you know, ruminate on there's a relationship with his father.
0: I also was, you say that, but I was hoping that like the end would be that time for him. And I feel like it just, at that point,
1: briefly, briefly when he, I think there's that line where he's talking to Alan in the arcade and he goes, you know, you were right, you know, cause there's this line earlier in the movie where Alan goes or Sam goes to Alan, you know, what do you think? He's just going to be sitting there working you know all this time and he just you know he'll be happy to see me you know sorry kid i i I got lost track of time right and alan goes well you know maybe (laughs) maybe maybe just just maybe because alan this character has been in the grid before he knows Mm -hmm. or not in the he's aware of it like he knows that there was something there right he he isn't really fully aware but he's he he's like you know this guy my friend my friend for this long time Mm is this crazy crazy programmer guy I wouldn't put it past him. Even after 20 years, mm-hmm. maybe he is still out there. Right. And so he still always holds out that little bit of hope. And that scene of Sam coming out and going, you know, you were right. And that look on Alan's face of like, you know, satisfaction, you know, you know, closure.
0: Right.
1: I think that that is the him, you know, he takes, and he takes back the company. Mm-hmm. You know, he goes, right. I'm taking back Encom. You know, you're the chairman now. Yeah. I'm going to continue my father's legacy. And in a certain way, it's something that is... That,
0: it, that actually is like, a, like a, a really good yet understated moment, back in, in retrospect now. Um,
1: and, and not even retrospect, but it's the beginning of the movie. Like, he every year, Sam goes to NCOM and pulls some prank or right. releases the thing for free,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: is something his father would have done. And there's that line in the beginning where Alan's like, well, why do you keep coming back? Why are you continuing your father's legacy? And he, and he just sort of shrugs it off. It's this thing that he's always been subconsciously doing that his father made such an imprint on him. Mm-hmm. He's always been doing it sort of, but he didn't he doesn't like talking about it or he doesn't have a good way to verbalize it. He just, it's just something he does because he 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 just he feels lost without it. He didn't have a dad.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: but that yeah, I think that line at the end of him taking back the company, you were right, you're chairman now. I think that is that connection on him, but that doesn't happen until the very end. like this, specifically the scene where he leaves, I think is pretty. You know, he doesn't have time to think about it, whereas mm-hmm. Kevin does. There's a scene where Kevin is thinking right. about him on the beach. You know They're playing catch,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he's like, oh, my God, my son's back. You know, I should go talk to him. I'm, I, I was kind of a dick to him at dinner, and he's gone, and Sam's gone. He goes, oh, my God, and so that's why they, they follow him. Right. That's where he sort of realizes. But most of the development over the course of the movie is for Kevin, but at mm-hmm. bookends, I think there is development for Sam. So I think, I think that is there. I think that is there.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'm actually gonna have to agree with you. You kind of made me a convert. You're <laughs> yeah. you, you like you're clearly very passionate about this movie. I am. Yeah. Yeah, I. No, I honestly, I I mean, I still haven't checked out from the library. I have to see it again sometime this week. You brought up a, a lot of really good points. A lot, a lot of points that invalidated a lot of the arguments I had against it. Honestly, so I'll I'll have to revisit it.
1: Well, I mean, I'd, I'm curious to hear some of your other criticisms because. I, I don't think any movie is without its criticisms or flaws I think it's just the the message of this movie is there cannot be you know perfection it's unknowable mm-hmm. so i I think looking at the movie but it's it's also you know possible for me I mean I saw it at such a young age that you know I was really into it I was able to mm-hmm. first i was able to forego all of its imperfections because mm-hmm. i was I was so young I wasn't thinking about it critically at all like I do now but over the years I've seen it more and more I've probably yeah. seen it total of four or five times over the past mm-hmm. ten years I'd say I don't I don't watch it as much as some other movies but it's still it's still one of my favorite movies you know what it's in the same vein as uh, the Wachowski Speed Racer movie for me I don't know if you've seen that the 2009 or 2008 Speed Racer movie I
0: haven't seen it but I know some people like that they really love that movie it's,
1: it's in a similar vein where yeah. it wasn't really well received at launch like I believe this movie Tron Legacy has a 51% on Rotten Tomatoes I know the Speed Racer movie wasn't really real sleep but when you really just sit down and look at it as a piece of as just a piece of create, creative just art I think there's something more there to both of those movies They're, you mm-hmm. know I definitely do another podcast about the Speed Racer movie because that I also saw it when it came out in theaters mm-hmm. and that similarly connected to me yeah I'm curious to hear some of your other what were your other criticisms about Tron Legacy because I don't want to just sound like you know this is the best movie ever even though I really oh. like it I think people are. I think a lot
0: of it was like I. I didn't think some of the emotions were there. Well, I. I think overall that there were things that I didn't really. I wasn't really like cognizant of, and then you really brought attention to it because yeah. I, I. Clearly, you've had a lot. I've of had power. a lot of time
1: to think about it. You yeah. have a lot of time to, I've had a lot of time to think it. about it. Yeah.
0: And sort of this movie since like you were like what nine or ten. Yeah. I like was yeah. Yeah. I was. Too. I was nine. Yeah. Yeah. I sort of marinated with you, you sat
1: with it a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, you do need to, I think from all movies, not not all, but, you know, because obviously there are exceptions, and you probably shouldn't think about Troll 2 too, so much. Right. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, if, it, if there's a movie, especially nowadays that you that you go see, especially in where cinema is, seems to be either very very polarizing, much like just the way society is these days. Either you really like something, you either really, really have to love it, or you really have to hate it just take a second and just think about it. Mm-hmm. Just really, just work it through in your head what right. was trying to be done, you know, what was what was the goal of X, Y, Z that you didn't like or maybe maybe something was there that you just overlooked because I think you're able to see more but you're absolutely right I've had almost, you know, 10 years to think about it so, so it does have a little bit different of an effect on me mm-hmm. but I, I think a lot of it just on the topic of emotion, I think there is a lot of emotion there. Mm-hmm. I think we, you know, I would encourage you to watch it again sometime that there is A lot of emotional resonance and weight in a lot of these characters just just with this this slow undertones and there's just great and my favorite part of this movie one of my favorite parts not in a scene wise but is just the short lines of dialogue just just real, real quick snippets quick responses like there's a great there's a great scene where Sam Flynn is going to get the disc and Clue has this crony the whole time named Jarvis and he goes as soon as Sam walks in after this you know fight he sees behind the doors he goes you know long live the users and as soon as Clue walks in he goes you know death to the users but halfway through the sentence Clue just cuts him down. You know there's no dialogue about it. There's no no one talks about it ever again. There isn't like this happened because of this. Things just happen. It's, it's something I really like about movie, movies is when things you 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 have as a moviegoer you have to Get into the mind of a character and go. Why do they do this? Or you know, right. you just have to figure it out. Things don't always have to be so explicit. Yeah, things said. things don't have to always be so explicit, and that's something I think this movie does really well, mm-hmm. especially in the mind of uh, the mind of its its two parallel characters, Kevin Flynn and Clue. Mm-hmm. I think to get into their mindset is a great way to watch this movie.
0: I didn't realize that that speech was literally just a parallel it's with, the same one yeah
1: and like when when I was watching it back it was the first thing I wrote because I, I had seen this movie so I had known the speech and I was like oh my god this is the same one from later mm-hmm. as he's he's there he has his arms up but instead of an army it's a bunch of investors right and he's going you know it is our destiny you know the digital frontier and he raises his arms just like he does in the end I'm like right. that's that's super cool mm-hmm. that's a super little, little cool thing that I wouldn't have noticed right. the first, second or even third time watching it right
0: they're like literally the same person. Yeah, they're,
1: the, they so they're the same person. Yeah. Which I think is a super cool just twist on a villain. Because there aren't... There aren't... I'm, I'm trying to think. Whenever I, whenever I make statements like this, I always forget the exception in my head. Uh, there aren't a lot of villains who are literally the hero. Because obviously, there's a lot of superhero movies. A lot of movies in general that they just make the villain the opposite of the hero you know like, the foil character the foil character like you know Iron Man is you know Warmonger for example mm-hmm. also Jeff Bridges yeah, yeah was, <laughs> uh, but it's just like the same thing but bad right but this is literally just the same thing just it, it's just different a different point of view like mm-hmm. it's literally the same guy it's not a clone it's not it's just the copy of him it's an identical copy of him it's this, like I love that I love that little aspect of it
0: I think it'll be great to to see Gemini Man after seeing this and seeing
1: how those two compare. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I that I think is going to be a little bit different than Tron cuz I think Oh, um, yeah, I mean,
0: yeah, but just that whole concept where it's like the
1: the same yeah, the yeah. same guy. You know, you sent me to kill me. I think mm-hmm. is a line in the trailer. Uh yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I respect Ang Lee. I think Life of Pi is a really good movie, but he's also made movies like the Incredible Hulk, and he has a really just ambitious mind. I'm not so sure Gemini. I'm Gemini. I'm not overly hyped for Gemini, man. However,
0: I do. Oh, I mean, neither am I. I I just know that Ang Lee, like, he has a ton of range. He's been able to do, I mean, love it or hate it, like, Hulk is still a really unique, weird take on a superhero movie.
1: You're 100% correct.
0: It is, it is out there, yeah. Mm. Yeah, he did that. But then he's also done... These incredible dramas like like *Brokeback Mountain*, yeah. uh, *Life of Pi*, which has all these crazy effects, which still hold up incredibly.
1: Yeah, I watched that recently. It, and yeah. it that also movie, that movie also has a lot of great undertones and just like subtle things. Right. In it, but so he yeah he has an incredible range, mm-hmm. but it, it's a great you know capstone for a discussion about *Tron Legacy* because the, the key part of that movie is that de aging technology and mm-hmm. how far we've come, in in ten years or right. nine, nine years to right. point A to point B of how we can use special effects to create a character that is someone who is older in real life into a new character in, in the world of cinema. and I think right. that's super cool, super cool effect that going forward is gonna be really fun to watch. I think when the Irishman comes out, it's gonna be the real real test because mm-hmm. that movie is entirely about one man's life, age you know young to old right And that I think because previously, it's only been as part of a side character. Like Marvel, the Marvel movies have been doing it really well. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess Sam Jackson is the is the closest to a main character in a movie in Captain Marvel where he just looks, you know, 30, 40 years younger mm-hmm. the whole time.
0: You see it in, uh, in Rogue One. Rogue One. They D. H. Tarkin. Well, that... Or, or, that that's actually different. Yeah, that's because. different.
1: That's different. They have a... Um, for that specific instance, I think it is similar actually to what they did in... That's more alike to what they did in Tron Legacy where they have a right. body double. The man who looks... Pretty similar to a um, a young Peter Cushing, mm-hmm. and they digitally constructed a face right. over that, and that one. That's an interesting example because I think that's an interesting like,
0: moral discussion.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting moral discussion as well as just in the context of that movie. I think it. I think it looks good. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I think there's some scenes where it does, some scenes where it doesn't. I I think that Leia at the end doesn't look good. I don't think the young young uh, Carrie Fisher. I mean it's believable it's better like it's it's hard it's hard to it's hard to wrap your head around it because of course those characters need to be there right like there's no it'd be Mm -hmm. really weird if you wrote around that Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but yeah it's just it's like maybe maybe now with the Gemini man coming out because Ang Lee is really pushing it as this is not de-aging this is not CGI this is a new technology that's gonna you know reinvent the wheel going going forward so maybe after this point we will have just passed over the point where there doesn't need to be, it's not a problem. You can just DH people. It's right. just, this is what you can do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think Rogue One is more in the vein of Tron Legacy where it's it's, it's still in that uncanny valley mm-hmm. uh, where like, that's clearly not a human, but it looks good. Like, it looks sort of like a human, but right. you can identify that it's not. Right. Uh, but I think, yeah, we're almost there. We're almost there where it's just past that point.
0: Mm-hmm. I started out this podcast or started out this podcast. I wasn't even thinking about Gemini man, but then <laughs> I, I, I realized all the parallels now. This yeah. is actually going to go out the weekend after Gemini man comes out. Yeah. So I guess we're devoting this podcast in honor of Gemini man.
1: Yeah. Kind I mean, I, it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good through line because oh, yeah. the de-aging technology was a, I feel like a big part of the marketing push of Tron legacy. Mm-hmm. Like as a kid, and I think you remember the trailers too. Not exactly an emphasis on de aging, but just showing off Clue. Like, look at this, guys! It's Jeff Bridges from thirty years right. ago. Look, right. come see our movie. Mm-hmm. Which unfortunately, it didn't really work out. You know, this the movie didn't make enough money to warrant a sequel. It didn't really do that well. It made about four hundred million. Which of course now, <laughs> it's like well, the, even then it's like well, four hundred million dollars is a ton of money. But mm-hmm. I guess you know, not not. <laughs> Not enough, not enough, you know. solo. four hundred million. That's not. But
0: not enough for a movie of this caliber. Not enough for a movie of this caliber. With that budget, yeah, made four hundred million on a one seventy million budget. And Usually that's production budget, so that doesn't count. And that that's got kind
1: of mar- or yeah, and advertising is typically like they. I'd be surprised if they broke broke even.
0: Yeah.
1: Especially for they, and this is a worldwide push. Which
0: is really sad because I feel like we we get a lot of really ambitious, really cool. Movies drawn with like all these all these ambitious visual effects like earlier this year it's not the greatest movie but earlier this year we had Alita Battle Angel yeah which I think barely broke even was 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 more of a hit than a lot of people were expecting that, it to be but yeah. as far as I, know, I, I don't have the exact that numbers. is a
1: similar that is a similar uh vein I mentioned it briefly a couple seconds ago similar vein of production to something more like Solo where they basically <laughs> just had to remake the movie a couple times like because I remember Alita Battle Angel was announced at a comic con like. Fifteen years ago or whatever like James Cameron was like, "I'm making it I mean, you won't see it for a decade you, but can't, you
0: can't trust that man with anything but anymore. I'm
1: but I'm making it when's, when's
0: Avatar 2 coming out <laughs> I
1: mean I've see it soon clearly <laughs> 2020 I think I right? think
0: I think they they released some uh, some photos for yeah the they did which I'm like finally <laughs> I
1: don't know to be quite honest I don't know why they're making those movies I mean I know it's the num it was the number one movie of all time but like do those movies
0: really warrant sequels? I, I don't know um, if the first movie really warranted a sequel. Uh, 11 years so. later. but I, I don't know what they're going to do. But not even a sequel, thing. but a sequel, and then two
1: more after that. Like, right. it's three more movies that are all being filmed back to back. And mm-hmm. apparently, what's taking them so long is something we talked about earlier briefly with Aquaman, is they are just filming underwater. Like, that's something James Cameron really wanted to get in, because as you know, he's big into... Like exploration, like in the film world, in Mm -hmm. the real world, like he went down to see the Titanic. You know, he's he's big into pushing the boundary with
0: Avatar with CGI. With this uh, piece, it's a it's a huge water. (laughs) Yeah, the ocean is a huge like visual motif for him. Like he's done obviously Titanic, but
1: he's done the abyss and he's done. Yeah, he loves he loves that, and so this time around he wants to he wanted to film it all underwater. So, like, I think some of the production photos you can see is just him standing with the camera in, like, a giant tank right. of water. And it's like, okay, I can see why this would take so long. Mm-hmm. But, you know, does it, does it need to come out? I will wait and see. I don't think it's gonna top Endgame. I don't think it'll make
0: yeah. I don't think so. Three billion
1: dollars. I'm not sure. I don't think the general
0: public, especially you know, ten years after this movie is coming out. Yeah, like or ten years after the original, like people aren't clamoring for a new Avatar movie. No. No. I think I think even a couple of years after Avatar came out, a lot of people were just like, "Oh, was it really that great?" Yeah,
1: yeah. A lot of people were like, they sort of had the realization, this this it had really good visual effects but it, I don't think it reinvented it didn't reinvent any wheel
0: right you know a lot of people thought it was just like the post the release like oh it's just a, it's just kind of a gimmick because it has all the cool visual effects and the blue people but, but
1: don't get me wrong I, I do like that first movie I think it has some really cool really cool stuff in it mm-hmm. but it doesn't. It doesn't hold up as well as you. As, as I don't think as one remembers. So. Yeah, I I agree.
0: I agree. I remember loving it when I first saw it and revisiting it a couple of years. Ago. Yeah,
1: let's see what's coming out soon. So we have Maleficent, we have Gemini Man, uh, obviously Rise of Skywalker later this year, or is nineteen seventeen? I'd say my most anticipated movie right now, just to sort of cap off. Well, is there's a difference because I. I am I am really excited for the rise of Skywalker. I'm a big Star Wars fan,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but the movie, but I, those are almost not movies to me. That's separate. Star Wars is a separate thing to me. It's mm-hmm. more than just a movie. You know, it's 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 a big part of my life. You know, I was raised on it. You know, it's books, it's games, it's it's comics. It's it's, it's more than just that. Mm-hmm. But in terms of movies, I think honestly the movie I'm most excited for is The King's Man. I, it, it came out? The trailer came out recently. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's I'm, the start of next year. It's February.
1: Wrong. It's February, yeah. Okay. It's not the rest of the year, but I am just really... This A trailer came out recently, so it's on the brain. I am just really excited mm-hmm. for that movie. There's, I, a,
0: there's a bunch of really... I can't think of any, like, huge movies that are coming out soon. There uh, aren't too like, many. Frozen. Frozen 2, Frozen. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of anticipating, because I actually do like Frozen 1 a lot. But, um... I, I'm... I'm Hesitantly excited for the next star Wars movie? Because I was actually a huge fan of the last Jedi. And I mean, as am I, as am I, I'll say it. And I, I'm glad, I'm glad. I, I talked to too many people. They're that like, that's the worst movie. And I'm like, eh. <laughs> I, it's well, like,
1: to be okay. To, to be fair, I liked Ryan Johnson as a filmmaker going into it. So I knew right. what he was like. Mm. Brick is one of my favorite movies. I think Brick, I, I mean, I like a lot of movies, uh, as i as i spend more time with the film club will you, you will find out um, but i think brick is phenomenal mm-hmm. and Looper obviously i what's his other movie he has um he has knives out
0: coming out
1: knives out coming out yeah. i'm really excited, I'm for, excited that. for that but song. i but going into the last jedi i knew it was going to be something different and that's what i loved because mm-hmm. i i wasn't you know i saw force force awakens was the first live action star wars movie i saw in theaters i was old enough for revenge <laughs> of the sith but i didn't go my parents <laughs> parents didn't let me yeah uh, but I wasn't that blown away by The Force Awakens, you know? I thought The Force Awakens, I was like, okay, you know, I get it. J.J. Abrams was given this job. He had to do X, Y, Z, yeah. you know, restarts. He did
0: the most respectful thing possible, possible. by offending the least, the least amount, amount
1: of people. people. And I thought that The Last Jedi was,
0: you know, what just what I wanted, which is something right. a totally a new take. I think it just completely, a lot of, what a lot of people see as the weakness with that movie, I see as like the absolute the strength. strength, yeah. Cause I it, it it very literally is just about abandoning the past and shattering the mold, and that's what this movie does. It spades. I think it's just so cool well, to see a blockbuster do that.
1: Well, hmm. see, I love this movie, but I'm gonna I actually disagree with you. Yeah. I think the movie, cause people always people who don't like the movie always use that uh, kill the past as a negative, negative. and I think people forget that it is the mes- it's, it's the message of the villain that is kill the past, you know, let the past die. Mm-hmm. Not that in, in life you can't, you know, let the past go. Not that that isn't a, a good thing. But the message of the movie is that that doesn't happen, you know. The, the past, they don't let the past die, you know. Ray continues the Jedi. She, she takes the books, you know, Luke does come around. Mm-hmm. Yoda Yoda's like, we have to grow from this, you know. Don't forget the past. You have to grow from the past, which is different than letting the past die. I think this is. I think this movie is about growth, and not just about you know forgetting it and people. I think people often overlook the fact that that's it's two both are about growth. But the villain, you know, Kylo Ren, is let the past die. You know, kill it if you have to. While you know the other side is we have to grow from the past. We have to become something new. That that scene with Yoda and Luke on the island when he burns the tree is one of that is a great scene. Mm-hmm. It's a great scene. I, I love the Last Jedi, but. I mentioned. I actually. I you know. That's an interesting interesting point that you see it that way. But
0: you, you you do bring up a good point. I most I mostly mean most like in the way that they tell the story. I think is yes is more grounded I and mean, that parallels the like what you know the movie's trying to say. At least that that's how I see it. I haven't I haven't I rewatched it soon after it came out on Blu Ray when it first came out on Blu Ray. Mm-hmm. So it's been it's been a while, but. That's another movie I'll have to revisit. I, it's sure. a movie that I revisit a lot. It is...
1: You know, it's controversial to say, but it, it is my favorite Star Wars movie. It is, as a longtime fan, and I, I'm a person who likes Return of the Jedi more than Empire Strikes Back, so... But that's just because that's how I was as a kid. That's just right. the movie I watched the most. I can recognize that, obviously, Empire Strikes Back is a phenomenal film. It is... Mm-hmm. there's In no sense of the word is it a bad movie. Mm-hmm. I, I don't dislike it at all. Right. But just... I just love, I have the sense of wonderment I get from remembering watching Return of the Jedi on VHS for the first time is like you know but but when I watched the last I had a crazy experience you know and we might be running long here sorry but uh, I this
0: can not great we have great I, right
1: I had a crazy experience I walked out of The Last Jedi and I said that is the most amazing thing I've ever seen I saw it a second time and I thought I hated that and I waited I, I saw it the next day and the first time loved it second time hated it gave it about a Two weeks saw it again and I said uh, no I, I do love this because it was a roller coaster of emotions when that movie was coming out because there's a lot of a lot of hate and a lot of love and I was like what is you know
0: what is how do I, how do I make
1: sense how do this? I filter yeah how do I filter everything out and eventually I just went back and watched it again I said no that that you know that is something I really connect with you know mm. that is just <laughs> I just think it's really good you know there's there's a podcast for another time just to talk about the last Jedi I mean, maybe maybe we can do that But, um, yeah, I think that movie is similar. Honestly, you know, just to tie it all back, much like Tron Legacy is a movie that over time, I think people will look back on it, watch it again, and go, okay, I see what was actually trying to be done here. It's not just superficial. There Mm -hmm. is more emotion. There is more depth here than just, you know, writing tropes and bad lines. Like, there there is more there. There Mm -hmm. is something under the surface. Like, there's a lot a writer director goes because it was written and directed by Ryan Johnson. And I'm not sure who wrote this. I'm not sure if it was the director, but I said writer director because to bring up Joker as well, there's a lot that goes into making a movie. It's not just, you know, we'll do this, we'll do this to make money. These are creative people trying to make something that they can emphasize with and that they, it it will entertain people. Mm -hmm. And so I think that over, over time people will come around, people will come around on a lot of, a lot of movies.
0: Yeah, I think it's ironic because I, a lot of people will consider Empire Strikes Back to be the greatest Star Wars movie, and a lot of a lot of respects, I, I agree with those people. But you have to remember that Empire Strikes Back wasn't critically lauded when it first came no, out. No, it was A lot not. of people did not like it.
1: Well, because it was such a departure from the original Star exactly. Wars, it was exactly. such a just like this is too dark. This is you know what what is this? This this is not for this is ridiculous right. and yeah I, you know hindsight is 2020 so we'll we'll see, but I'm glad that we have the hindsight now for something like Tron Legacy because it is i'll wait. I'll want to wait another ten years to do a last jedi podcast
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah time you, with time you're able to put a different perspective right. on things for sure. Right. So I'm I'm very happy about that and I, hopefully we'll be able to talk about yeah. that more as time goes on at the mm-hmm. film club. For
0: sure. And there's not always, you know, an, an objective truth when it comes to
1: Oh, absolutely. Movies. If you don't like a movie, you don't have to like a movie. Right. You know, it is totally it is totally subjective, but mm-hmm. it's very important to remember, you know, what Kevin Flynn said what Kevin Flynn said perfection there is no such thing as perfection. There is no perfect movie as much as people want to, you know, name one or the other is this is the perfect piece of cinema. it doesn't mm-hmm. exist, you know it's all it's all tastes, it's all right. just subjective, so wait, you know, like a movie, don't, but let you know it's uh it's all it's all up for interpretation that's the great and that's the great sure. favorite part about movies for sure
0: think. yeah, that's why it is such a such an amazing art form and whatever whenever you see a movie and you bring yourself and everything with you oh experience absolutely. All your, Everything, and I'm really glad that you got to share with me your specific viewpoint and how important Trump legacy is to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that that really adds a lot to my experience of the movie in retrospect. And I'm I'm really glad you came here. Yeah, and you uh, heard that
1: with, with I'm glad I came on. I yeah. I look forward to doing hopefully doing more of these
0: in the future. Oh yeah, at least the, the Last Jedi. We said a few other ones. I can
1: talk. I can talk about movies. That I had like for a long time, you know. Uh, yeah, the same thing. I can I could talk forever about solo as well, but you know I digress.
0: Well, I think that's just about the end of it. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at UW Film Club and on Instagram and Twitter at Film Club UW, and then you can find our podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And I just want to thank Levi again for being here. It's my pleasure. For for bringing his take on Trump legacy, I think he's changed my opinion on it a little bit. I've become a little bit of a convert just just through our conversation, and it's been it's been great. This is definitely this is our longest podcast that I've been a part of so far.
1: <laughs> I'm glad I glad I can be a part of that.
0: So so uh, you're gonna make the editing process a little bit difficult for me, but I I appreciate I, it. <laughs> I apologize. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I don't think I'll have to cut very many parts out of this, but. Uh, But, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. And thanks again, Levi, for being here. And uh, catch you guys next week. Bye-bye.